Chapter 9. Bloodpool Fight night at the Vortex? Nobody ever wins at that game. He walked through Sandara Laveau and her full contingent of bodyguards, and the AI called it. Tell me he didn't hurt them too badly. They walked home, all but one. A warden was lurking in her crew, and the Grey had somehow snuck in a blade. List, next time, start with the important news. What the Feth was the boss of the 99s doing with a warden? And do we know if the Silver survived it? Lalo, you're asking the wrong person. The Baron might want to speak with Lady Horn. Her acolytes are leaving the nest. Speak with Sandara first and find out what she knows. If she was part of a trap to drop one of the fates, there will be repercussions. We were part of the trap. That was your job, not hers. How's Breezy? Pissed. She needs a break. She can have a day. Tell her to use it wisely. I tried to play it smarter on the way home. Instead of going up, I went down a few levels, and instead of parking myself in front of a video sensor at the bar, I scrambled the device from a distance and struggled into an empty booth near the back of watersheds. The gaudy red upholstery seemed to wake me up. Whatever the gray stole from me, it hadn't taken what was left of my mind or the knowledge imprinted in it. As far as I could discern, my power didn't come entirely from corruption or otherworldly contracts. Kisco and Zax had somehow unlocked my mind when they'd ripped my soul free of my body. They had shown me how to steal the energy around me to full effect. I ordered straight ethanol, mineral water over ice, and hot tea. Oh, and could someone please bring me a towel? Maybe two. The ethanol did the trick for cleaning up my new piercings, and the water hit the spot. I was tired. The gray man had pulled the rug out from beneath me, and everything seemed heavy. I wasn't bleeding all that badly, and my mind was clearer than it had been in days, months, maybe years. Okay, maybe it wasn't perfect, but it would get me home once I'd finished my tea. The hot drink offered a less demanding sort of bitterness, one I could mask with a sugar tablet and a cool smile. Could you fall in love with a dress? I think I had. The isolation of the past year was catching up with me, and I'd never seen the dead end before hitting the wall full speed, dogs barking in the distance behind me. The look of surprise on the gray's face as his blade missed its mark matched plenty of those around me, but only one had mattered. They'd known going in, their arm looped through mine. I was such an idiot. I rested my eyes behind a bloody towel, letting my mind roam through the fumes of ethanol, scouting a path home. A squad of Adeptus Arbitus was moving down the street a block over. They were loaded for bigger predators, but I would avoid them nonetheless. In the next booth over, a group of women arrived for the after-party. I could smell their perfume, and suddenly, I couldn't get out of there fast enough. Maybe Asher McNail could use an anonymous bodyguard in her rise to celebrity. Nobody lured a bodyguard in with an exotic scent or a mini-dress fit for the Emperor himself. I'd had enough for one night, and now the hell guns were only a half-block away. Feth. I slipped out of my booth and turned away from the newcomers, heading for the back room and the kitchen's closet door. Through the walk-in closet, up the hall, and through another door, I stood in the back of a subdued lounge filled with booths and tables. A toonsmith floated in his bubble, sharing a laid-back selection. The spicy scents of food and drink circled the scattered and lonely performance poles. The floor show was over. Nobody spoke to me as I maneuvered through the room and out a hidden side door. The alleyway was clear except for a pair of purple-tinged bouncers at the mouth, keeping an eye on the busy avenue. 
They ignored me as I swept past and into the flowing late-night crowd. All the public lifts would be watched at this time of night, so I waited, cloaked near one, until a large enough group arrived. We were all running on fumes as we reached ground zero and scattered, catching trams outward or elevators up. Looking for a quieter ride home, I went for the nearest service elevator, one centrally located within the hive. As the doors of Service Bank 48D opened, I sighed. Going up, said Arbiter Fogelsharp. I didn't know you moonlighted, but yes, let me get that. My biometric clicked green on the button to the overhive's entrance. Rough night in Sub-Zero? Fun night, I said. There's this one bar that you just wouldn't believe. Sharp took note of the blood on my ear. Parrick, why the feth are you out alone? You looking to add some thrill to my life when they fish your body out of a septic vat? I've been cooped up too long. I'm merely burning off a bit of frustration with folks that can appreciate it. There are other ways of doing that. Friendly female ways, if you get my meaning. Now you're suggesting the source of my angst. The hair of the dog that bit me and all that. How are those dogs in 99B? We're still getting acquainted. No matter what you think, those dogs are never your friends. Keep that in mind as your blood drips on the elevator floor. I hadn't noticed that. I leaned back against the elevator wall and realized there was more than blood pooling at my feet. I was dying. There was an emergency call button on the wall beside me. I pressed my thumb into it as my nervous system lost its ability to move my diaphragm. The elevator bucked, and I slid down to the floor an instant before my heart went on strike. All I could think about was the fact that I'd given the metacuffs away to save the life of my killer. It was the highlight of my night. Mr. Gray sat across from me in a booth in Sector 40B. We were each a body short. Invisible first dates are always awkward, especially after the funeral. My feet were bare. I was bootless and lost. Had I been here before? Who are you, I said. I'm a warden. That told me nothing. What's your name? My name is not important. Pick one. Lear. You look gray to me. Why? I'm a warden. I have the gift of the gray. What did you do to me? That which I was told. I emptied you of your corruption. You did more than that. I was sure my soul came from this side of the veil, and yet it had run out on the elevator floor as if fleeing a burning hab. You have something of mine. Give it back. It was a gift, I said, as was the curse on your knife. Would you give me back my life in the exchange? I had something of Lear's, and it locked us together in a lethal contract while the gray curse continued its job of evicting me. If it were simply pain, I could set it aside as easily as a bolter shell. Instead, it was the lingering wisp of smoke after the weapon had been fired, the sign of an empty chamber and a job well done. Lacking any color, Lear was like a gray ghost. His aura was muted to almost nothing in my sight. It was unsettling at first until I realized the final effects. There were only scars where I had once endured alien doors to the Immaterium. Zaxay's and Kiskamon were gone for good, but their marks and knowledge remained. Somehow the Grey's poison realized that, and it was killing me too, driving my soul and the energy out of my body. I was fading and in dire need of help. Zaxay's seemed the wisest of us all at that moment. He'd guarded his essence at all costs, no matter how terrible it was. Kisko did more of the same from the bottom of his heinous pit. No one would dare confront him there, even if they could find him in that place of corruption and decay. I was wrong. There was one person that would enter the pit. Let's go, I said. 
I didn't wait for Lear's response as I dove downward, dragging him with me toward Sector 99B. Breaching the edge of the hive, I dove further, searching through the heretical discard pile for something to use. Scatterings of silver caught my eyes, and I found an idea hidden among them. Each item contained a contract of corruption made to bolster one's abilities. Mr. Gray had been given the inverse, the antidote to eradicate the spread of the warp among us. I reached out and invited a silver dagger's energy into my chest. The Gray curse reacted, throwing up a wall and barring the door before it could fully open. I found another silver syringe and did it again and again. The Gray was finite in its capacity. With every new silver charge, it took a step back. I watched as it leaned into the gashes of my reality and sealed the portals as they formed. It dissolved the alien energy as it arrived, losing a bit of itself in the process. As it shrank, I grew stronger. Soon, I was pulling the energy of blues and reds and purples into my ethereal form, yellows and greens piling on in a torrent until the gray curse finally accepted my invitation and retreated from my body. It was barely a seed by then, but I dared not touch it. It had neutralized everything I'd thrown at it, leaving nothing but my own abused seed inside me. There is your gift, I said to Mr. Gray. You have your life back. Take it and be gone. More than any blue or purple, I now knew the feeling and the scent of Gray. The curse hadn't only gone after the corruption, it had gone after me. It was an enemy beyond measure. You were supposed to be watching out for him. What happened? He took the long way to get wherever he was going, hitting up random clubs and ducking out back doors. As the lines began to form, we couldn't keep up, and he lost us. So he suspects he's being watched. Any idea what happened between losing him and finding him again? Nothing beyond what you already know. Will he live? We don't know. The Medicaid thinks he was poisoned but can't seem to identify the toxin. Why would someone in Sub-Zero want him dead? That's what I want you to find out.